Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. Gas prices jumped again today. The stock market took a massive tumble today. I will make the pronouncement and the declaration, if you will, that we are in a recession. I'll wait for the others to catch up, but that's where we are. You have to be uh, deaf, dumb, and blind not to see it, hear it, and smell it, or something like that. But you all feel it. That's the bottom line. And uh, it's a disaster. And it's going to affect every corner of this great country. Already has. Already has. And that is why media outlets like... MSLSD, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost and all the other reprobates want to focus on other things. They want to focus on other things. And so let's join them for a moment. What is this this line about the great replacement theory. Now, I've spent, this will be day three, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But I told you the Democrats, Biden, Obama, all the rest of them actually believe in the great replacement ideology. That is their ideology. It's the ideology of media matters. It's the ideology of mediaite. It's the ideology of the American media. It's the ideology of the Democrat Party. It's the ideology of the Latcrit radical movement. And nobody's given me an answer. Why are the borders wide open? Specifically, why is the southern border wide open to anybody who crosses? Why have all the policies 
that secure the border have been upended? Why are the laws that are in place, and there's significant substantive laws in place called immigration laws, why are they not being enforced? Why, why are the Border Patrol and ICE being defunded through the back door by basically being told not to enforce existing law? Why is that? Why are Biden and his party and his media and all the rest of them so committed to this? Now we know why. Because they actually believe believe and promote. Not in a theory, in an ideology, a reality. Here's Joe Biden in 2015. Hat tip C-SPAN. Cut to go. So there's a second thing in that black box, an unrelenting stream of immigration, nonstop, nonstop. Folks like me who were Caucasian of European descent for the first time in 2017 will be in an absolute minority in the United States of America. He means by he means 2043 or 44. He can't get anything right. Not even his racism. Go ahead. Absolute minority. Fewer than 50% of the people in America from then and on will be white European stock. That's not a bad thing. That's a a source of our strength. Okay. And it goes on, but that's the relevant part. I told you the other day, Mr. Producer found it, uh, that that Joe Biden was a great replacement ideologue as was and is Barack Obama, as was and are the corrupt Democrat Party media and the leadership of that party. They are. That's what they believe. And then if you disagree with them, it is said that you are a racist. Bizarre. Enforce the immigration laws. So you must be a racist. And yet, this has absolutely nothing to do with the slaughter that took place in Buffalo. Nothing. Oh yes, this issue was raised in the mass murders manifesto, such as it was. But he went to a, an area of New York, drove many, many hours where there is a known concentration of a black population to kill black people at a grocery store. And most of the people he slaughtered were black people at the grocery store. Had nothing to do with immigration or the great replacement ideology. Now he also is a full-throated anti-Semite. A full-throated anti-Semite. Now, why wasn't that mentioned on MSNBC? Because they have full-throated anti-Semites on MSNBC. That's why. Why wasn't it mentioned? Now, it could be that they know that they have 
also full-throated anti-Semites in the Democrat Party. Rashida Tlaib, among others, has introduced some kind of resolution about 1948 that has as its purpose to trash the state of Israel and the Jews. Of course, the Jews are the indigenous people in the area. They've only been there about 4,000 years, Judea, Samaria, etc. And of course, Rashida Talib will never mention that the head muckety-muck of the Palestinians, who used to be called Arabs, but the Palestinians, was a cohort of Adolf Hitler and met with Hitler and promised Hitler that he would help Hitler slaughter the Jews in the Middle East and North Africa. Rashida Talib doesn't mention that. Her parents came here from there uh, and she won a, rep- a Democrat primary in Detroit a crowded field, and she became the Congress. The Congress, her, I don't know. Are we allowed to say her, woman, whatever they say? Here in part is what she had to say on MSLSD within the last 24 hours. Cut seven, go. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, the first Palestinian-American woman elected to Congress, introduced a resolution this week to formally commemorate the Nakba, that is the catastrophe endured by Palestinians during the creation of Israel in the late 1940s. And Congresswoman Tlaib joins me now. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. What is the purpose of this resolution that you've introduced this week and why now? I think it's really important to understand the Palestinian struggle and the experience uh, and living under uh, occupation and displacement and violence. And as many human rights leading organizations are saying, is apartheid. And I think it's so. It's oh, really? Violent. Oh, really? Is that what's going on in the Gaza Strip? Is that what's going on in the so-called Palestinian territories? Who's in charge in these these areas? terrorists what do they do with people who dare to challenge them kill them what do they do to a Palestinian who decides to sell his home or his property to a non-Palestinian kill them or a Jew immediate capital punishment What do they do with a Palestinian who's caught, who's imprisoned for committing terrorist acts against Jews in Israel, or even Arabs in Israel? They celebrate him or her and give their family a pension with your tax dollars. The Israelis don't go into the Palestinian areas and start slaughtering people. Now the same Talib an anti-Semite through and through, has talked about the elimination of Israel. You see, they don't want a two-state solution, which I've said is the final solution for the Jews in that area of the world. That would never be enough. Because this isn't about geography. It isn't about land. It's about Nazi-like hate for the Jews. And that's what Talib has. 
And she's tolerated. In fact, she's embraced, if not celebrated, by Joe Biden. Remember that on the tarmac, Mr. Producer? And furthermore, she's not denounced by MSNBC. She's not denounced by CNN. She's not denounced by the New York Times or the Washington Post or any of them. Now, I understand she's not white, and I understand she's not a Klansman, and I understand those things, but she's about as close, in Mark's opinion, to a neo-Nazi as he can get, right? She's clearly a bigot, and she's not alone in the Democrat Party. How come Joe Scarborough doesn't talk about her and them? How come Donnie Douche on MSNBC doesn't talk about her and them? How come low IQ Nicole Wallace doesn't talk about her and them? Or Carl Cameron? Or Joy Reid? Or Representative Sheila Jackson Lee? Or Jerry Nadler? Or all the rest? Because apparently it doesn't matter. Now the racist who slaughtered those people in Buffalo was also a Jew hater. Hated a lot of people. But it is interesting. They want to keep bringing up the great replacement ideology. Which wasn't his reason for going there to slaughter African Americans. But they don't bring up his great Jew hatred, which is shared by so many in the media and so many in the Democrat Party. Why is that? Why is it that the Democrat Party doesn't take possession of their great replacement ideology? We have their quotes. I've got more clips. They know what they said. We know what they said. The media know what they said. Why is it? And when the last census came up, media after media after media kept saying, minorities are going to replace whites. Minorities are going to replace whites. Minorities. Google it. We Googled it, didn't we, Mr. Producer? It's all over the place. They said it. They said it. Well, what do they mean by that? What do they mean by open borders? What is the issue here? Why don't they come to grips with it? What are they doing? Everybody's wondering, why is the border wide open? They're letting all these people come in. It's funny, they won't answer the question. Donnie Douche, Nicole Wallace, Joe Schmuckborough, and all the rest of them. But not a word about the Jew hatred out of one of their mouths. And now we have Talib who is celebrated on MSNBC. Unbelievable. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever. And it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. 
For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. There's a lot going on, and it's not just one big issue. There's many issues that, in the aggregate, really address the same problem, tyranny. I've told you now for some time that the January 6th committee is really a front for a criminal investigation. And that by setting up this committee, what Pelosi and the Democrats and the two Republican reprobates have done ultimately, is circumvented the Constitution. And the protections provided both in the Constitution and federal law to potential criminality. Not that there was any criminality on the part of President Trump and his people. That's not my point. You have a right under the Constitution not to incriminate yourself. You have a right to due process. You have a right to a lot of things under federal criminal law procedures that do not apply when you're testifying before a congressional committee, whether in public or in private. And as you know, for a long time, it's been my contention, and I said, keep the eye on the ball here. Keep your eye on the ball. That what this committee has decided to do with various members letting the cat out of the bag by announcing that they intend to make criminal referrals is that they are trying to gather information and facts they could not otherwise gather at the Department of Justice and then provide it to the Department of Justice. And now we learn that the Department of Justice has requested the transcripts from the January 6th committee. They've requested the transcripts of their interviews from the January 6th committee. Which actually means they're working together. The committee told the Department of Justice to request their transcripts and information. And then they would provide it to the Department of Justice. This violates also separation of powers. Using a legislative committee, which has as its sole function to conduct hearings about legislation. I want to continue this. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever. And it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today 
at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. This is the Ministry of Truth. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now, 877-381-3811. So far, it's the only ministry of truth that has survived scrutiny as the Biden administration has suspended its phony ministry of truth. Ours, of course, is exquisitely accurate. I will spend some considerable time next time discussing the election results. You've already heard a lot of it, but you haven't heard from me yet. Justice Department requests transcripts from the January 6th committee. So people testify in front of a House committee. That is the committee that Pelosi sets up to go after Republicans and the Trump administration and others. They know exactly what they're planning on doing. They are a front operation for the Department of Justice. They get around protections that exist in the Constitution and federal criminal law. And now you see how tyranny works. And now you see how our tyrannical media work. The Justice Department has asked the House Committee investigating January 6th attack for transcripts of interviews it is conducting, which have, this is how it's reported, which have included discussions with associates of former President Donald J. Trump, according to people with knowledge of the situation. So the endless leaks just continue. The move coming as Attorney General Merrick B. Garland appears to be ramping up the pace of his painstaking investigation into the Capitol riot. You see, the media is getting frustrated. They want action now. It's the clearest sign yet of a wide-ranging inquiry at the Justice Department. And when it comes to Russia collusion in dorm, they don't say painstaking investigation, wide-ranging inquiry. No. The House Committee has interviewed more than 1,000 people so far. Isn't that ridiculous? And the transcripts could be used, listen, as evidence in potential criminal cases to pursue new leads or as baseline text for new interviews conducted by federal law enforcement officials. That is exactly what the plan is and has been. Exactly. Aides to Representative Benny Thompson, Democrat of Mississippi and the chairman of the committee, have yet to reach a final agreement with the Justice Department on what will be turned over according to a person with knowledge of the matter, who spoke on the condition of anonymity because of the confidential nature of the investigations, but he leaked, or she leaked. And they always do, whether it's the Supreme Court or somewhere else, because they work with the media. They're trying to frame the narrative with their buddies, their friends, their cohorts, their comrades in the corrupt media. On April 20, Kenneth A. Polite, Jr., the Assistant Attorney General for the Criminal Division, that is Biden's guy, and Matthew M. Graves, the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, that is Biden's guy, wrote that Timothy J. Heapy, the lead investigator for the House panel, advising him that some committee interviews, quote, may contain information relevant to a criminal investigation we are conducting, unquote. 
Mr. Polite and Mr. Graves did not indicate the number of transcripts they were requesting or whether any interviews were of particular interest. In their letter, they made a broad request asking the panel, quote, provide to us transcripts of these interviews and of any additional interviews you conduct in the future. Because they're using this committee, and the committee is using the Department of Justice in ways that violate the liberty of individuals, the rights of individuals that have been painstakingly put in place over the history of this country. The Justice Department investigation has been operating on a separate track from the committee's work, they write. Generally, investigators work on the two inquiries have not been sharing information, except for at times communicating to ensure that a witness is not scheduled to appear before different investigators at the same time, according to a person with knowledge of the inquiries. Do you know why they put this out, America, Mr. Producer? Because they've heard what I've been saying. There's no joke. They've heard what I've been saying. That these guys are working together. Oh, no, we haven't. Still on separate tracks. We only communicate now and then. If and when Kevin McCarthy becomes the Speaker of the House, they're going to have to investigate why Nancy Pelosi failed to take steps to protect the Capitol building on January 6th, including entreaties from the White House to provide National Guardsmen. Why she failed to muscle up the Capitol Police Force. Why she failed to call in more Metro Police that would have assisted her. We need to know all this, but we also need to know the extent to which these members on this committee have been working with and leaking to media outlets. And we also need to know the extent to which this committee has been working with, hand in glove, the United States Department of Justice Criminal Division, because that's not their job. And when people go there and testify in secret and under oath, They're not testifying in front of a federal grand jury. They're not testifying with the usual protections that an individual receives. No, they're being told don't lie, because then we'll refer to the Department of Justice, of course. But they're also being told this is a legislative proceeding, not a criminal proceeding. And look at the extent to which this report knows what's going on. Thus far, the Justice Department's investigation has focused more on lower-level activists who stormed the Capitol than on the planners of the attack. But in recent weeks, Mr. Garland has bolstered the core team tasked with handling the most sensitive and politically combustible elements of the inquiry. Several months ago, the department quietly detailed a veteran federal prosecutor from Maryland, Thomas Windham, To the department's headquarters, he's overseeing the politically fraught question of whether a case can be made related to other efforts to overturn the election, aside from the storming of the Capitol. That task could move the investigation closer to Mr. Trump and his inner circle. This is so completely out of control. So completely out of hand. Prosecutors have begun asking for records about people who organized or spoke at several pro-Trump rallies after the 2020 election, as well as anyone who provided security at those events and about those who were deemed to be VIP attendees. What if I had chosen to attend and I didn't attack the Capitol or anything like that, Mr. Producer? I would be in their eyes, right? 
They're also seeking information about any members of the executive and legislative branches who may have taken part in planning or executing the rallies or tried to, quote, obstruct influence of Peter DeLay, unquote, the certification of the election. Wait a minute. To obstruct influence or Pete the delay, the certification of the election? What the hell does that mean? You have a right to challenge what took place. That's pretty ambiguous, very broad. And the Democrats have done this every election cycle. In fact, they're already poised not to accept the results of the midterm elections. Justice Department's request for transcripts underscores how much ground the House Committee has covered and the unusual nature of a situation where a well-staffed congressional investigation has obtained testimony from key witnesses before a grand jury investigation. That is, they've gotten information from key witnesses before there was a grand jury investigation. This is intentional. Where are all the backbenchers when you need them? Where the hell are they? The House Committee, made up of seven Democrats and two Republicans, two Republicans chosen by Pelosi, never before done, is led by Mr. Thompson and Dizzy Lizzie Cheney, one of only two House Republicans to embrace an increase scrutinizing the actions of their own party. Right. And how many Democrats want to scrutinize the failure of Nancy Pelosi? Not one. The panel has about 45 employees, including more than a dozen former federal prosecutors and two former U.S. attorneys, and is spending more than $1.6 million per quarter. The committee has obtained documents and testimony from a wide range of witnesses. Now, why did they bring these criminal prosecutors in, ladies and gentlemen? Why did they do that? Because they were conducting criminal investigations. That's why. Again, in violation of the separation of powers and without proper notification of the people they dragged into these processes. The witnesses have included White House lawyers, Justice Department officials, security officers, members of the National Guard, staff members close to Vice President Mike Pence, members of Mr. Trump's personal legal team. That is unheard of. Republicans who participated in a scheme to put forward pro-Trump electors from states won by Joe Biden. Scheme? Our history, I guess, is filled with such quote-unquote schemes. Mr. Trump's own family members and the leaders of right-wing militia groups. At least 16 Trump allies have signaled they will not fully cooperate with the committee. Well, they shouldn't. Certainly not under these circumstances. Faced with such resistance, investigators on the panel have taken a page out of organized crime prosecutions and have quietly turned at least six lower-level Trump administration staff members into witnesses who provided information about their boss's activities. You hear that? There's two criminal investigations going on. One that is simply unconstitutional, and the other that's going to be illegal when the unconstitutional one feeds information to the illegal one. 
But the problem is you're in Washington, D.C., where you got a bunch of left-wing kook judges. Some of these witnesses, including an aide to Mark Meadows, the former White House chief of staff, have provided critical information. And look how the information is being peeled out to the media. The committee has also tried to obtain testimony from Republican members of Congress. This is unheard of. And it issued subpoenas to five lawmakers last week. These members have denigrated the panel's work. Listen to this. But have declined to say whether they would participate in the interviews, which are scheduled for the end of May. One of the lawmakers, Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio, said he received a subpoena on Monday and was reviewing it. They leaked these subpoenas to the media before the members got the subpoenas. Mr. Garland and his top aides have been careful about not disclosing their investigative methods, and they have sought to emphasize their impartiality and limited public comments about the investigation. Oh, right. And the New York Times broke the story about the uh, Department of Justice asking for uh, transcripts. Unfortunately, everything I was concerned about, everything I told you about has happened and is happening in a horrific way. And I want the people in Wyoming to understand that Liz Cheney has participated in this rogue Stalinist process. And she is supported by, supported by Republicans. The, the former Republican governor of North Carolina who lost to Ted Budd last night said, he's a Reagan conservative, he's an Eisenhower conservative. No, he's not. He's a Ford-Nixon-Rockefeller Republican. He's a Ford-Nixon-Rockefeller Republican, which even Reagan rejected. And the Reagan Library, which has been taken over by the man who runs the damn Washington Post, and on the board that I looked at, he's got a bunch of financial people he's appointed to it. Make sure he doesn't ever lose that position. He's destroying the Reagan legacy. He's turning it into the Ford, Nixon, Rockefeller legacy. That's why he wants Liz Cheney speaking there, and Ben Sass speaking there, and our buddy Carl Rove. Not real, solid conservatives. I'm a Reagan conservative. But I'm also a Trump conservative. I don't see the contradiction particularly after four years of solid conservative presidential decisions by Donald Trump, far more conservative and solid and Reaganite than the two Bushes. That's for sure. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N, 
FredHillsdale.com. When you read Unfreedom of the Press, those of you who did, you will realize just how corrupt Washington, D.C. is, the Democrat Party, the press, and the Department of Justice. You will realize that what Nixon did in Watergate doesn't even come close to what Lyndon Johnson did with the CIA and the FBI and the IRS. doesn't even come close. But they liked his agenda. You learned, or will learn if you read it, the corruption in the John Kennedy administration, how they used the IRS and the FBI against their enemies, and how the Washington Post and Newsweek participated in it. You will learn about Franklin Roosevelt and how he used the IRS against Andrew Mellon. For 10 years investigated that man, and he was clean. Even the federal judge involved in that case couldn't believe it. And how they worked together with the media and the Department of Justice and the IRS. How they worked with the media, the Department of Justice, and their fellow Democrats in Congress. And they're doing it right now. They're doing it right now with the January 6th committee. Same damn press. Department of Justice. White House. Democrat Party. It's Donald Trump who deserves an apology for what they did to him with Russia collusion. And Christie and Larry Hogan and this Fred Ryan who runs the Reagan Library, CEO of Washington Post, they're not Reaganites. They never were Reaganites. Just because they're around the Reagans and the Reagan Library. No, no. No. They're of the Ford, Nixon, Rockefeller wing of the Republican Party, which is trying to make a comeback through the Bushes and the Cheneys and the other losers. Next hour, we will address aspects of the election. I can't go into every state, Idaho, where things turned out as expected. Oregon, where they're still duking it out in a couple of places, but mostly things have turned out as expected. Uh, but we want to take a look at Pennsylvania and North Carolina, among other things, and give you my take. You haven't heard my take yet. I haven't been listening to everybody else. I'm just too damn busy to do it. So we'll be right back, and I hope you will, too. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Okay. The election. Joe Scarborough had a conspiracy theory today, and I'm not going to play it. It's just so stupid, even for him. He says the Republicans in Pennsylvania, the legislature, specifically wants these election results delayed. 
unlike in Florida and some of the other states. So when they lose, they can complain that it's fixed as they're winning early on. Now, the problem with Joe Scarborough is not only does he have a low IQ, he doesn't know how to read, he doesn't know how to research. From his bungalow in Jupiter, Florida, with the missus, the formerly Mika Blazinski, now Mika Blazinski Scarborough, chip off the old block there. It was the Democrat governor and the Democrat rogue Supreme Court that changed the election laws in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, as I said yesterday, where I grew up, where I used to work the precincts, we would know the results of the elections by the end of the evening, typically by 10 or 11 at night. We would know. The changes came with the Democrat Party in violation of the federal constitution, Article 2, which we've talked about at length, and the refusal of the Supreme Court, at least four justices, to take up the case, where you have now voter harvesting in Pennsylvania, but it was never approved, where you have no signature verification, that was never approved, where they expanded absentee ballots, that was never approved, and I can go on and on. This is very important to understand. So the Republicans aren't the ones who delayed this. This is a screw-up, again, by the Democrats and their lawyers and their politicians. That said, Pennsylvania, the primary, I think right now, before they count um, a lot of these... uh, a lot of these absentee ballots or what have you. You have Oz with a lead of about 1,500 to 2,000 out of over a million votes cast. Like around 1.2 million, actually. So they need to go back and check that. In addition, in addition, and by the way, I like McCormick and Oz, both of them. I truly do. I think either would be a great senator. Either would be, and I told you that, and I told you I'm not into this Barnett at all for a lot of reasons. But again, uh, what I'm pointing out here is that, look, here's the thing. Barnett attracted a lot of conservative votes. I know why she attracted a lot of conservative votes. Because people began to hear what she had to say during the debates. It's not like she had a lot of money to play commercials and so forth. And they liked what she had to say. And the way she presented it. And so did I. But being unvetted, as more information came out, and that's the whole purpose of a primary, just so you know. It's to see if a candidate is strong enough to run in a general election. Otherwise, there's no point in having a primary. Just everybody would run. She couldn't stand up to it. And I don't mean because she wasn't strong. She was strong. But because her relatively recent past had some nasty stuff in it, 
that reminded me, quite frankly, of Joy Reid. Again, not ideologically, but the comments and the way she made the comments. Now, Joy Reid was promoted because she's a radical, Marxist, racist, and because by putting her in a prime time slot on MSNBC, the corporatists that run Comcast feel that they're protecting themselves from the radical left, who they fear more than, than you, that's for sure. Plus, they agree with a lot of what she says, because they come out of the same schools, same indoctrination, uh, same ideology. But I couldn't, I couldn't support somebody like that, so I didn't. But I did not endorse either Oz or McCormick, and I think they're both good men. Now, what do we learn from this? Anyway, so the cons- a lot of conservatives voted for Barnett. I think a lot of MAGA voted for Barnett. When you look at the governor's race, the candidate that was endorsed by Trump got, like, last time I looked, over 40% of the vote. Over 40% of the vote. That's a big deal. Um, and Oz got, give or take, 32% of the vote. So that's why I feel some of it split off to Barnett. So in some ways, McCormick benefited from Barnett being in the race, I feel. Do I know for sure? No, but I'm just trying to analyze this rationally. That's what I believe. Now, what's going to happen now? I have no idea. There is an automatic recount once they count the absentee ballots. There's an automatic recount. But one thing is clear. Um, Donald Trump has enormous power within the Republican Party. This may upset some people. The Bush people and so forth. This may upset them. But it doesn't matter. He has enormous power within the Republican Party. And the Chris Christie's and Larry Hogan's and others, my buddy Hugh Hewitt, good buddy of mine, they don't get it. And they resist it. Paul Ryan, others, they don't get it. And then they claim, in the case of some of them anyway, to be Reaganites. But they're not Reaganites. In 1976, most of them supported Gerald Ford if they supported anybody. The true Reaganites supported Reagan in 76. Even Fred Ryan, the CEO of Washington Post, he didn't support Reagan in 76. As he climbed his way up the ladder. And most Reaganites support Trump. Most of you, if not the vast majority of you, support Trump, as you supported Reagan if you were old enough. I think the overwhelming majority of people voted for Reagan at the time, also voted for Trump. And I think we brought a lot of conservatives in this program, listen to this show, millions and millions, over to Trump's camp, which drives them nuts in the never-Trumper world. 
And you can see how nuts these never-Trumpers are. Many of them have flipped to being Democrats. Many of them now work as hosts on MSNBC or guests on MSNBC. They don't have a principal bone in their damn body. While pretending they do. But they don't. So last night was Trump's night. Trump won. He's guy in North Carolina, Ted Budd, who was on this program, who I'd endorsed as well, won by a landslide in a Republican primary. This young man, Cawthorn, who lost by really an eyelash in the Republican primary in the far west corner of uh, North Carolina. He may have had his faults. He was a young man. But the Republican leadership never took him under his wing, their wing. You had former Republicans who are a host on TV, who were mouthpieces for their rhino brothers and sisters, and just trashed the hell out of the guy. You had the Drudge Report trashing the hell out of the guy. You had the Republican establishment in North Carolina trashing the hell out of the guy. You had Tillis, the Republican senator, who's a Mitch McConnell wannabe, trash the hell out of the guy. And just to show you what kind of a guy Donald Trump is, he endorsed him in the, in the final week or so of the campaign, even realizing it was going to be a tough race given all that had come. He still endorsed him. At a principle. He still endorsed him. And he just conceded. Unfortunately, he lost. So rather than take this young man who was in a terrible car accident, so he lost the use of his legs from the hip down, wheelchair bound, rather than take him under the wing, teach him the ropes and so forth and so on, they went gunning for him because that's what these bastards do. Their surrogates on TV went gunning for him. Uh, I was going to say something that no doubt would grab the attention of everybody, but I'll keep my mouth shut, Mr. Producer. One day I won't be on TV and I'll say whatever the hell I want to say. But that's the way it goes. People who took shots at this kid. And it was a pile on. And his opponents, mostly in the Republican Party, were digging up everything they could. They had former friends of his when he was a youngster turning over videotapes of him and pictures of him in this situation and that situation. I'm not into bullies and I'm not into mobs. I just I just can't stand it. I can't stand it. And these guys who oppose Trump claiming to be Reaganites, they're not Reaganites. I'm a Reaganite. I'll tell you who the Reaganites are. These are not Reaganites. They're Ford, Nixon, Rockefeller, retreads. That's what they are. That's what Bush was. Both of them. Kinder and gentler. You know, the truth is, the truth is it's, it's hard to listen to Biden speak. Isn't it, Mr. Producer? But wasn't it hard to listen to George W. Bush speak, too? It was, wasn't it? There's, oh no, what's he going to say now? What word is he going to create now? I have to be honest, not as bad as Biden, not by any stretch, don't get me wrong. 
But then again, he wasn't 78 years old or 79 years old with dementia either that I'm aware of. That I'm aware of. So uh, North Carolina, Ted Budd, he will be the nominee. And God willing, he will be a United States senator and he will be a solid conservative senator. We'll see what happens in... uh, in Pennsylvania, but already the rhinos in media and elsewhere are talking about how this guy Fetterman, he's like this 6'10 throwback. You know, his head's even too big for that kind of a body. You, you understand. He runs around in sweatpants. I'm going to cover yourself, you big slug. Oh, he's cool, don't you know? He's a Bernie Sanders supporter from day one. He's a Marxist. He wants to end oil drilling in America, end fossil fuels in America. I just hope parts of Pennsylvania are listening to me. He wants to nationalize health care. Oh, that'll go well, like it does in every other country. I mean, they can't even handle the baby formula situation. They shut down Abbott. They prevented the importation of baby formula from the European Union. We now have several babies in the hospital on IVs. Did you read that? Because they can't get their baby formula. Well, it doesn't matter. Those babies don't matter. Babies that we cannot use to exploit, they don't matter to us. Democrats. Democrat Party. So, uh, you know, Trump is very gutsy. He goes out on the limb and makes these endorsements. And look, I haven't agreed with all of them. I don't. But then again, I'm not the former president of the United States with the Republicans hanging on my every word. You know, he is. And he puts his neck on the line every time. And by the way, these Republicans who are going into Georgia to endorse Governor Kemp, Bush, our good friend Mike Pence and others, that's not exactly heroic or courageous. The guy's like 30 points ahead. He's 30 points ahead of the individual that Trump endorsed, who really is a mannequin, to be perfectly honest with you, in my view. Herschel Walker, who I care about there, to be quite frank with you. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Stop paying for Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile social initiatives. Stop paying for their thousands of retail stores across the country that you never go to. Stop paying for their added perks that you never use. Pure Talk doesn't charge you for any of that garbage. Instead, they give you excellent 5G coverage on the same 5G network as one of those big guys. For half the cost, the average family saving over $800 a year. Now, I made the switch, and it's the best decision you'll ever make. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or get great deals on a new phone, like a Samsung Galaxy 5G for less than $2 a month. Unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data, just $30 a month. Or choose unlimited data, and you'll still save a fortune. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. 
few years, we're going to be a majority brown country. White people will not be the majority in the country anymore. This will be the first generation ever in American history uh, in which whites will be a minority of the generation at some point. As of 2007, every year, babies being born in this country, whites now are the minority. In 2044? Uh, everyone is going to be a minority. As the demographics change, as white people become the minority in the country, which is coming. Demographics is destiny. Demographics is destiny. Demographics is destiny, right? The country is changing. I've been saying it here. Other people have been saying it here for years now, even before Donald Trump. The demographics is destiny. The white population is declining for the first time in history in America, while the number of multiracial Americans have more than doubled. So we live in a country where the demographics are changing. It's becoming less white. Correct. Okay. You'll be announcing that we're calling the 38 electoral votes of Texas for the Democratic nominee for president. It's changing. It's going to become a purple state and then a blue state because of the demographics, because of the population growth. The growth in Texas has been almost entirely driven by non-white population growth, mostly by Hispanic and Latino population growth. The idea that, um, you know, whites will, will not be the majority... I mean, that's it's an exciting transformation of the country. It's an exciting evolution uh, and you know progress of our country in many different ways. The white population is declining. It, it was always on the upswing. So that speaks to the beautiful diversity of America. It speaks to um, uh, how the, that population, will, the demographics, will weigh in politically. I believe anybody who echoes a replacement is to blame, not for this particular crime, but it's, it's for no purpose, no purpose, except profit and or political benefit. And it's wrong. That sounds like the great replacement ideology of the Democrat Party and their media, doesn't it, Mr. Producer? I want to give a hat tip to Grabian that does tremendous work. And I'm sure this will be played all over the media. I'm sure Media Matters, Soros Front Group. I'm sure media will play this as well. What do they mean by this? They keep talking about replacing white people with other people. Who is obsessed with that? Who keeps talking about this? They do. And so when you react to it and you respond to it and say, well, that's not the proper role of immigration. Immigra- hey, look at that. You're a white supremacist. You're linked to Buffalo. It's sick. These people do exactly what they condemn. And Buffalo had nothing to do with immigration either. I'll be right back. Stop paying for Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile social initiatives. Stop paying for their thousands of retail stores across the country that you never go to. Stop paying for their added perks that you never use. Pure Talk doesn't charge you for any of that garbage. Instead, they give you excellent 5G coverage on the same 5G network as one of those big guys. For half the cost, the average family saving over $800 a year. Now, I made the switch, and it's the best decision you'll ever make. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or get great deals on a new phone, like a Samsung Galaxy 5G for less than $2 a month. Unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data, just $30 a month. Or choose unlimited data, and you'll still save a fortune. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. 
The Mark Levin Show, where we create the talking points. Call in now, 877-381-3811. That montage is just too good. You hear all the racists in the media and the Democrat Party pushing the great replacement ideology from Joe Biden to Joe Scarborough. I mean, they're obviously racists. They're racists. They see the purpose of open borders as exactly what I've been saying. And now they won't say it. Isn't it amazing? Even though it has nothing to do with the slaughter of these poor people in Buffalo. That's it. Let's do this again. Let's go to cut one, go. In a few years, we're going to be a majority brown country. White people will not be the majority in the country anymore. This will be the first Racist. generation ever in American history uh, in which whites will be a minority of the generation at some point. As of 2007, every year, babies being born in this country, whites Racist. now are the minority. In 2044, uh, everyone is going to be a minority. As the demographics change, Racist. as white people become the minority in the country, which is coming. Demographics is Racist. destiny. Demographics is destiny. Graphics is destiny, right? Racist. The country is changing. I've been saying it here. Other people have been saying Racist. it here for years now, Long even before racist. Donald Trump. The demographics is destiny. The white population is declining for the first time in history racist. in America, while the number of multiracial Americans have more than doubled. So we live in a country where the demographics are changing. It's becoming racist. less white. Correct. Okay. You'll be announcing that we're calling the 38 electoral votes of Texas for the Democratic nominee Racist. for president. It's changing. It's going to become a purple state and then a blue state because of the demographics, because of the population growth. The growth in Texas has been almost entirely driven by non-white population growth, Racist. mostly by Hispanic and Latino population growth. The idea that um, you know whites will, will not be the majority, I mean, that's... It's an exciting transformation of the country. It's an exciting evolution uh, and, you know, progress of our country in many different ways. The white population is declining. It, it was always on the Not upswing. Not So that speaks to the beautiful diversity of America. Buffoon, it racist. It speaks to um, uh, how the, that population will, the demographics Way in I believe anybody racism. who echoes a replacement is to blame, not for this particular crime, but it's, it's for no purpose, no purpose. Except so profit. anybody who argues for replacement, not for this particular crime, then why are you bringing it up? And why are all your mouthpieces in the media bringing it up? As they march in line behind the Democrat Party or vice versa, then why are you bringing it up? And these people, as I said the other day, now we've, we have the evidence, have been pushing the great replacement ideology for years. And Joe Scarborough's bragging, I did it before Trump. And he did. And they did. And that's what they're doing. And so now when you say, wait a minute, we need to secure the border. Ooh. You must be tied to the Buffalo shooter. It's certainly ideologically. You must have triggered him. No, he says he's not a conservative and he hates Fox. As far as I know, he's a big fan of Joe Scarborough. I mean, who the hell is anyway? As far as I know, he's a big fan of MSNBC and CNN. As far as I know, 
I mean, he says he's a socialist, a national eco-socialist. Wow. Sounds like Bernie Sanders to me. How about that? How about that? The great replacement ideology has been pushed by the media and the Democrat Party forever, and that's why the borders are wide open. They won't admit it, but there's no other justification that anyone can think of. This is why they're not asked about it, and this is why nobody talks about it but me. That's why it's wide open. There. Question asked for three days and now answered. Not a single Democrat in America wants to answer that question. Because there is no other reason. And now, you put it all together, the Democrat Party and the media, this is what they've been saying. They've been spreading the great replacement ideology for years. How do you expect people to react? They're listening to you and they're rejecting it. The vast majority of the American people don't want it. They don't want open borders, period. Forget about the replacement theory and the replacement ideology. They don't want it, a.k.a. open borders. There's not another country on the face of the earth that wants open borders, is there? I can't think of one. But you won't hear from Media Matters that it's their party, it's their friends, It's their stooges that have been pushing racism. And you won't hear it from the others. You just won't. Because they're not about the truth. Tales from the Swamp. Washington Free Pekin is a a terrific website, by the way, folks. I think. Tales from the Swamp, how a Republican senator's son partnered with a liberal dark money group to sink voter ID expansion. I went, who the hell is this? By Colin Anderson. A George Soros-linked dark money behemoth as a peculiar partner in its bid to sink voter ID expansion in Michigan. A group of Republican operatives led by a sitting Republican senator's son. They'll do anything for money. These guys will do anything for money, like Media Matters. Over the past year, Liberal Dark Money Group 1630 Fund. I thought it was 1619. Anyway, 1630 Fund has spent $2.5 million opposing a Republican-led petition drive to expand Michigan's voter ID requirements. Nearly $400,000 of that money has gone to ground game political solutions a shadowy consulting firm that a trio of Republican operatives, ready for this, including Senator Roy Blunt's Republican Missouri son, Andy Blunt, privately launched in May 2021 corporate filing show. The firm which Blunt first registered in Delaware before expanding it to 10 other states functions as a stealthy subsidiary to Blunt's public-facing canvassing company, HBS Plus. What's with the plus all the time? The setup has allowed Blunt and his partners, fellow Republican operatives Greg Hartley and Megan Cox, to rake in hundreds of thousands of dollars from deep-pocket liberals without alienating their conservative clients. So they set up another front group. Pretty sleazy. 
The revelation shows just how far liberal operatives are willing to go to tank the ongoing voter ID expansion effort in the Great Lakes state. In at least one case, for example, the 1630 fund used its Republican allies at ground game to pay canvassers tens of thousands of dollars not to work on the issue. That ploy saw ground game reach a November agreement with a Michigan petition gatherer They paid him $50,000 not to work on any, quote, election reform, unquote, issue. Cox personally signed the contract, which the petitioner gatherer called a scheme to pay off circulators not to engage in the voter ID initiative. Just one day before Cox sealed the deal, Ground Gabe received $56,000 payment from an equally shadow political action committee, Protect Michigan Vote that the 1630 fund bankrolls to fight voter ID in Michigan. Wow, look at all the levels of deceit. According to campaign finance disclosures, that payment went to ground game through a Jefferson City, Missouri address register to Blunt's, Andy Blunt's consulting firm, Hush Blackwell Strategy. So far, there's four groups. Blunt, Hartley, and Cox, the two, the three repubes, did not return multiple requests for comment. All three have professional ties to Blunt's father, who I've never liked. Complete rhino out of Missouri. Jerk. Blunt managed his father's Senate campaigns in both 2010 and 2016, while Hartley, from 1997 to 03, served as then-Congressman Blunt's chief of staff. Cox, meanwhile, has directed field efforts for the Republican senator, her online bio states. Now you know why they hate Trump. And they hated Reagan too. But now you know why they hate Trump. Just 13 days after the launch, business records show Blunt, Hartley, and Cox registered ground game political solutions. But Blunt, Hartley, and Cox went on to register ground game in 10 other states, some of which require filers to disclose more information about a company's leaders. In Florida and Texas, for example, Ground Games filings named Blunt, Hartley and Cox as directors, and list the Missouri address the firm used to accept hundreds of thousands of dollars from Protect Michigan Vote. Similar filings in Nevada and North Carolina also named the three operatives and refer back to Ground Games' original Delaware registration. Now, so here you are. These guys are getting rich. The 1635 excuse me, the 1630 Fund, which is part of a vast liberal dark money network managed by D.C.-based consulting firm Arabella Advisors. This Arabella Advisors is at the center of everything. Is also is able to bankroll Protect Michigan Vote thanks to contributions from some of the world's richest liberals. Soros, a billionaire left-wing megadonor, gave the group nearly $10 million in 2019. Foreign billionaire Hangs has also contributed at least $12.4 million to the 1630 fund since 2010. And that fund gives money to these repubics, including Senator Blunt's son, to blunt voter ID laws in Michigan and other states. Think about that. Unbelievable. I know. But it is absolutely unbelievable. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. 
Stop paying for Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile social initiatives. Stop paying for their thousands of retail stores across the country that you never go to. Stop paying for their added perks that you never use. Pure Talk doesn't charge you for any of that garbage. Instead, they give you excellent 5G coverage on the same 5G network as one of those big guys. For half the cost, the average family saving over $800 a year. Now, I made the switch, and it's the best decision you'll ever make. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or get great deals on a new phone, like a Samsung Galaxy 5G for less than $2 a month. Unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data, just $30 a month. Or choose unlimited data, and you'll still save a fortune. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. You know, there's very few politicians and families of politicians. There's some, but very few who don't leave Washington wealthier than when they came here. And some of them never leave, of course. One of the few would be Donald Trump, who probably lost billions of dollars as a result of running for president and now faces endless investigations, all by Democrats. Democrats. You just wonder how this man can tolerate this, how he can withstand these endless onslaughts. Now, Congress and these others have had his tax returns now for a long, long time, have they not, Mr. Producer? And they haven't come up with anything. Then you have people who are elected on a platform of getting Donald Trump. Then you have people who take their politics and try and criminalize it against Donald Trump and his family. Now we have this, this absolute clown, Meritless Garland, getting information from a committee of Congress that was really a front group to begin with. It's really quite shocking. And then you have this guy, Senator Blunt's son, who's making a fortune lobbying against voter ID expansion in states, particularly Michigan, uh, sets up a group, and they set up a group, and another group is set up all for the purpose of laundering legally under our current rules the source of the money, Soros and others. This is why the Republican leadership hates Trump. Mitch McConnell, his family, his in-laws have made a fortune off the communist Chinese and their front group, uh, this freight company, as Peter Schweitzer has pointed out here. Do we have a caller that we wish, who we wish, to bring onto the program? XM Satellite, Rodrigo in New York. Go right ahead, please. Yes. Yes. Hello, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I've been listening to you a very long time, and this is the first time I call you. Thank you. I am I am very emotional and, and nervous to speak to you, but I have Don't be nervous. a topic. So thank you. I, I have two points that I want to bring across. One, it scares me to, to, to uh, uh, an infinity situation. Right. And the other one, the other one is, is an encouraging point. The, the bad point first, the one that scares me. I, have, I, I totally fear that the Democrat machine 
is going to try to steal this next election like they stole the last election. And the whole the whole thing about the open borders and keeping telephones to the migrants who are coming across, I feel that they're trying to do, to try to do something to get all those people to vote Democrat. Because, you know, there's no other way that you know, they have to steal the election. I don't disagree with you, and I don't think it's just them. I think it's every way imaginable. They have their slip and fall ambulance chasing lawyers everywhere. They apparently have uh, unlimited resources from multiple billionaires, whether it's Soros or Zuckerberg, who obviously do not like our system of government and do like the idea of oligarchs like we have in Russia and other parts of the world, because these are effectively oligarchs who are functioning this way, uh, whether it's Bezos owning the uh, Washington Compost or the rest of them. The one, the one billionaire, or there's a couple of them, but the one billionaire who's most outspoken, you can see this Elon Musk. Well, there are others, too. But, I mean, this one in particular, uh, he doesn't want to be an oligarch. But you're right. You're right to be concerned. Call again with your next point in the next few days or weeks. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government and they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read the secret war on cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution, against all freedom loving Americans. So you need to read the war on cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492. 1492 or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. Hello, 877-381-3811. You know, Morgan Freeman seems like a nice enough guy, doesn't he? In the movies, on TV, and commercials. Very likable guy. But over at Blaze Media, Alex Nitzberg points something out that I was unaware of. Morgan J. Freeman declared in a tweet on Monday, quote, being anti-racist starts by admitting whiteness is a disease. Freeman, an individual who describes himself as a TV producer, filmmaker, human rights, and racial justice advocate, should not be confused with the famous actor who has the same name. In response to someone who pointed out that his tweet comes across as quite racist, you got that? It's not the same as the actor. In response to someone who pointed out that his tweet comes across as quite racist, Freeman fired back, reverse racism is a myth that doesn't exist. 
The reason I'm reading this is to point out that it's not Morgan Freeman, the actor, even though this guy says he's the actor. Or says he's an actor. And of course, a civil rights advocate. He declared that that he's a TV producer, filmmaker, human rights, and racial justice advocate. And I think he did that purposely to confuse himself with Morgan Freeman, the actor. So I wanted to point that out in a bizarre way. American households are spending $5,000 a year on gas. As prices rise and economic woes worsen, this is Blaze Media as well. Your Denny research concluded that Americans are paying considerably more at the pump this year. Gee, we didn't know. They estimate Americans were spending a mere $2,800 last year. Now you're spending $5,000. Actually, I'm surprised it, uh, it, won't be, it isn't more, and it will be more. It's going to be a lot more. And, uh, and they even point out, when you look at inflation and so forth, despite the consumer price index surging by 8.3 in April, a massive technology sell-off, retail sales rose 8.2%. That's going to come to an end, too. Because that's what happens in the course of a, of a recession that, that could actually be worse than that. And then, I just pulled together these disparate pieces. New study finds electric vehicles still cause massive amounts of climate-harming emissions. From tires, this is also Blaze Media. A new study is attracting a lot of attention. The study published recently by Emissions Analytics, a British-based emissions testing firm, found that under normal driving conditions, particulate emissions from tires are an eye-popping 1,850 times greater than from a tailpipe of a gas-powered car. The EPA defines particulate matter as solid particles and liquid droplets found in the air that are so small they can be inhaled and cause serious health problems. And some are small enough to enter deep into the lungs and even soak into the bloodstream. Now the particulate matter emitted from tires also pollutes the natural environment as larger particles cover the ground while smaller particles float into the air. Half a ton of battery weight can result in tire emissions that are almost 400 more times greater than real-world tailpipe emissions, everything else being equal, <coughs> the study says. And the trend is heading in the wrong direction so far as tire emissions go. <laughs> I never heard of tire emissions before, but what do I know? Electric vehicles continue to get heavier and heavier as a result of consumer demand for longer travel times in between charges. Conversely, as newer cars have become more efficient, tailpipe emissions in gas-powered vehicles have decreased. <coughs> so what they'll do is they'll move most people to electric cars. Eventually, they'll outlaw fossil fuel as a, you know, for, using, for use in uh, automobiles, vehicles. And then once they have everybody stuck on electric vehicles, we'll have our brownouts and blackouts. So they'll limit how much you can drive and they'll limit what you can drive. And then they'll eventually limit how many automobiles a family can have. And then eventually, then eventually, the Department of Housing and Urban Development 
will really kick in heavy duty on these single-family homes and these suburban and extra-burb areas and force people to live in smaller and smaller areas just for the health of the country. For the health of the country. These are slippery slopes, and that's all they believe in are slippery slopes. Quite frankly. I didn't know tires, emissions were a real thing, but it turns out they are, and it turns out batteries make cars much heavier. And therefore, tires give off more rubber, I guess is the way it goes. Tires give off more rubber. Now, we were talking about elections. And I mentioned some time ago a piece by David uh, Catrone over there at the American Spectator. It was a great piece. Will the Democrats accept the midterm results? And they're clearly laying the foundation for not accepting the results. So they accuse you, me, and Trump of not accepting election results. And yet that's what they're all about. Anytime a Republican wins, it's due to some kind of corruption or racism or something. And, you know, you would think the Bushies would understand this because the, the Democrats and the media considered him an illegitimate president for the longest time as a result of the 2000 Electoral College win. He didn't win the popular vote, but the litigation that took place in Florida. He was called an illegitimate president by most of the Democrats and most of the media, but that was then and now Bush loves being loved. But he does point out, does Catrone, that the Democrats are likely to get whacked. There's more than the usual bombast, he says, we're getting from these politicians. And he also points out uh, the criminalizing political opponents. The New York Times, with this January reports, with this January 6th so-called insurrection committee, but he believes the inquiry is steadily metastasized into a McCarthyite inquisition based on the proposition that former President Trump and a long list of so-called far-right figures were involved in a criminal conspiracy to undermine the results of the 2020 election. And that's where the Department of Justice is headed. Now, this is months ago. According to the Times, the suspected conspirators include Republican members of Congress, former White House officials, the wife of a sitting Supreme Court justice, conservative media personalities, informal Trump advisors, outside lawyers, various extremist groups. Probably fair to say that this committee is far more sinister than anything that occurred on January 6th, he writes, and he's right. If all this seems to exude a familiar stench, it is. It's not a hallucination. It's just more melodrasm smog from the distraction factory that produced the Russia collusion hoax. The Democrats are about to lose their congressional majorities. They are polluting our politics with a good versus evil narrative in the hope of obscuring their myriad failures from the voters. When Nancy Pelosi says she fears for our democracy if the GOP retakes Congress, what she's really worried about is losing power. And she will do anything to avoid that, even if it means actively undermining the legitimacy of the November midterm elections. He wrote this back in early April. And he was right then and he's right now. This entire thing is a fraud. I'll be right back. 
Danny Danan was the ambassador to the United Nations from Israel, where he was really just fantastic. And he's a friend of mine and my wife, Julie's. We got to know him uh, and uh, his beautiful wife, Tally, as well. And he has a fantastic book out, In the Lion's Den, Israel and the World. Mr. Ambassador, how are you, sir? Thank you for having me. Great to hear from you, Mark. It's a great pleasure. Tell everybody, why does it matter? Why does Israel matter to the United States? Why is a strong Israel matter to the United States? Mark, we live in the front lines. So at the beginning, we deal with the problems. But at the end of the day, the problems will achieve uh, the U.S. Take, for example, the issue of Iran. Everybody knows that uh, today the new administration wants to sign a deal uh, with Iran again after uh, what they did in 2015. So one might think, well, it's too far away. It's not a problem for me. Uh, it's a problem for Israel, for the allies of the U.S. in the region. But that's a mistake. It's a, problem, it's a problem for the American people as well. Because if God forbid Iran will become nuclear, who knows where, where they will export uh, their ideas, their radical revolutionary ideas. It can come to the shores of the U.S. as well. So maybe for the short run, people don't understand the importance of the connection. But for the long run, Israel is, uh, is part of the U.S., but we happen to be uh, in the front lines, standing for the same values, fighting the same enemies. And that said, Mr. Ambassador, you have to be a little bit concerned about U.S. policy right now. And quite frankly, this so-called coalition government in, uh, in Israel, because uh, it seems to me like we have sort of a uh, access of weakness Whereas when you were ambassador, Netanyahu was the prime minister, and uh, President Trump was in office, uh, there were actions being taken to try and control the Iranian regime, no? Uh, indeed. And, you know, I learned that uh, in the Middle East, you need to be strong, but more important, the perception of power is more important. And today, unfortunately, because we have a, a weak, unstable government, uh, the perception is that we are weak. And that's why we have seen in the last few weeks wave of terror in the streets of Israel. We have seen attacks from different directions. And we will, we will have to restore the deterrence. We will have to not only be strong, but we have to show our strength against our enemies. Do you get the sense, Mr. Ambassador, that the current Israeli government would not independently take action against Iran, uh, that it would seek permission from uh, the Biden administration? Well, I think we have a weak government. I don't think it will last for long. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes they feel the, the take orders from, from Washington. I will give you an example. When Secretary Blinken visited Israel before the month of Ramadan, the, the holy uh, month for the Muslim people, uh, we heard Secretary Blinken calling the Israelis to show restraint and not to incite uh, for violence. And I saw my Prime Minister, Prime Minister Bennett, standing next to him, and he didn't say anything. Instead of telling the secretary, you are wrong. It's not the problem of us inciting. It's the radicals, not all Muslims, but the radicals were actually using this month to incite against Israel. And we saw exactly what happened with the Temple Mount, with the wave of violence. So, yes, we have a weak government, a weak prime minister that is not willing to, 
to confront not only the U.S., but uh, uh, many, many other allies around the world. Now, uh, when you were the ambassador to the United Nations, how were you treated generally uh, by the other ambassadors? Um, and these constant resolutions uh, trashing Israel. I mean, you're sitting there, you're watching this. What were you thinking? So there was a, a gap, and I write about it in, in my book, in the line of then, about that gap between public UN and private UN. So publicly, you have all this ridiculous resolution and declarations against Israel. But privately, actually, they admired, Mark, admired Israel. They wanted to learn more from me about Israel. And I, I thought it was a challenge to close that gap, and we did it. You know, we, we take, for example, the Abraham Accords. You know, we used to work very uh, closely but quietly with the Gulf countries. And today, you know, we have uh, an amazing relationship uh, with the UAE and Bahrain. Hopefully, uh, more countries will join uh, the accords in the near future. So I think our challenge is, is to demand from our allies to publicly acknowledge what they think about Israel and what we do uh, together. It's a little concerning, I think, that uh, there hasn't been an effort by the administration in the United States to build on the Abraham Accords, which were so incredibly successful, the policies of both countries and then these Arab countries. There hasn't been another single country added to the Abraham Accords since, uh, since your party left office, has there? Uh, unfortunately not. Uh, it's not on the agenda today. Uh, the administration is actually uh, focusing on signing the agreement with Iran. You know, we all speak about Ukraine, but uh, I think we should pay attention to what's happening in Vienna, where the negotiations are moving forward. And I will not be surprised if we will hear in the next few weeks uh, about a new agreement that uh, the U.S. with Russia, uh, with other European countries, would sign a, a horrible agreement with the regime of Tehran. Uh, for us, it will be bad news, but we will be ready to do whatever is necessary to protect ourselves. And you and these, these Arab countries that have to face down Iran directly in the neighborhood there, you're not bound by this, whatever this deal is, are you? Uh, absolutely not. And uh, we say it uh, out loud. Uh, but, you know, I'm worried because I think some of the Arab countries in the region, today they are speaking with us about, you know, fighting together Tehran and the regime. But if, God forbid, the U.S. will sign this agreement, they might start to, to find ways to Tehran and to try to negotiate with them, which will be bad news for Israel. It, it will mean that we will be isolated. Uh, and once we will get ready for the military uh, action, it will be very hard for us to explain why we are doing it, while the most of the world actually is acknowledging Iran and, and supporting the agreement. And I saw uh, recently that Israel had its its biggest um, military practice or training or whatever you want to call it, probably in its history, in preparation for, God forbid, something may come with Iran, correct? Uh, that is correct, and, and we have to get ready for all scenarios. I, I served as Deputy Minister of Defense, and we know that once we will have to protect ourselves, it will be from all fronts. It will be missiles from Iran, rockets from Gaza, rockets from uh, Lebanon that Hezbollah will fire on us, probably Syria uh, as well, and also the, the Hamas. And uh, in the last year, we actually unfortunately saw that we had uh, riots coming from the inside, 
some, you know, very minor parts, but radical parts of the Arab Israelis actually joined the attacks from the inside. So it will be a war in six fronts, and we have to get ready for that scenario. This is a fantastic book, my fellow patriots. Um, you don't have to be Israeli. You don't have to be Jewish. It's just a great book. In the Lion's Den, Israel and the World by Danny Danan, who was the ambassador to the United Nations from Israel. You get a lot of the official inside information on how they conducted their business and how their enemies, our enemies, did. Can you hold on till after the break, Ambassador? Absolutely. All right. We'll be right back with Ambassador Danny Denon. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. If you turn off your radio and open the window, you can probably hear him straight from the studio. Call Mark Levin at 877-381-3811. The book is In the Lion's Den, Israel and the World. You can get it on Amazon.com, any major bookstore, we hope. Uh, it is a, really a fantastic book. You'll get a lot of intrigue out of this book through the eyes and the mind of uh, former Ambassador Danny Danan to the United Nations uh, from Israel. Now, let me ask you, uh, Mr. Ambassador, did you work closely with the U.S. Ambassador uh, in the uh, Trump administration, Nikki Haley? Uh, absolutely. Ambassador Haley, uh, she was and she is a great friend of Israel. She actually wrote the foreword for the book in the Lions Den. I'm grateful for that. And, and we achieved so much, you know, especially the timing when she appeared at the U.N. It was a few weeks after the shameful resolution that President Obama pushed in the Security Council against Israel. So that was the hardest moment in, in my life, actually, not in my, also in my career, that I was there in the Security Council by myself, fighting not only the Palestinians uh, or the EU, I was actually fighting the U.S. that teamed up mm -hmm. with the enemies of Israel to pass this resolution. So she came right after that. And she had, the, uh, she felt that she had the moral obligation to to repair the damages of Resolution Two Three Three Four that passed uh, on December 2016. Now you have a, a fascinating discussion about this in your book, first-hand discussion that you went to the Russian ambassador, you persuaded him on behalf of your country to try and delay this vote on the resolution by the Security Council. He was prepared to do that. He tried to do that, but because of pressure from the United States and the Arab League and some others, he was unable to delay the vote. Is that correct? That's uh, correct. And not only that, 
you know, during my meeting with the Ambassador Chokin, the late ambassador that passed away, he told me something which I was shocked. He told me, Danny, it's not only one resolution that Obama is pushing against you guys. There are actually two resolutions. And that's something I, I revealed first time uh, with you tonight. Uh, it's in the book, but people don't pay attention to the details. But I actually revealed that I found out during the conversation with the ambassador that the uh, U.S. was actually pushing two resolutions against Israel. One of them we are all familiar with, which passed resolution 2334. But there was another resolution. Uh, the U.S. administration called it, called it back then Parameters for Peace. That was the vision of President Obama and Secretary Kerry for a new Middle East, or a vision for peace. And the Russians actually blocked that resolution. They told President Obama, we will veto the resolution if you put it on the floor. And I found myself in a position that actually Russia, who was not friendly to Israel over the years, was blocking a resolution coming from the U.S., our closest ally. This is absolutely shocking. Uh, this is a major revolution, uh, re- uh, revelation in your book um, that the Russians were trying to assist the Israelis while the Obama just shows you how out in left field the Obama administration was pushing resolutions with some of your greatest enemies. And um, the Israeli government, the Israeli people really, didn't get along that great with Obama and his people, did they? Because he was trying to push you folks to do something you simply didn't want to do. Uh, you know, we want to achieve peace, but we believe it cannot come through the UN or, or through resolutions in the Security Council. And by the way, President Obama said the same in 2011 when he came to the UN. that He doesn't believe we can get things done through the UN. Uh, you cannot force uh, negotiations. But before he left office, I don't know why he did that mistake. But uh, he took advantage of, of the last week in office to push those two resolutions uh, forward. Uh, I, I think it was uh, shameful. And, and, and I write in the book about the way I felt, not only about the content of the resolution, Mark. You know, it called our presence in the old city of Jerusalem, the holiest site for Jewish people and uh, Christians. It called it a flagrant violation of international law. But I was upset not only by the content, but also the way it was done. You know, instead of actually telling us, you know, Ambassador Samantha Powell or, or Secretary Kerry or calling the Prime Minister directly and telling us that's what we want to push forward, we would, we would have actually been upset, but we would understand it. They chose to do it behind our backs. They did not get, uh, did not answer our phone calls. You know, when I tried to get an answer from Ambassador Samantha Powell, the answer I got was that she doesn't decide about it, which is true, and we have to, to ask the President. But when I was trying to connect Prime Minister Netanyahu to President Obama, the answer I got that he's on a vacation in Hawaii and he's not willing to take the call from Prime Minister Netanyahu. So, you know, I was really upset that it was done, you know, in a cowardly manner and not actually promoting ideology, which I don't agree with. Very important. And you do explain this in detail in the book. And when you confront it and Samantha Power right before the National Security Council meets, this is when she reveals to you how the United States is going to vote. And she apologizes. And uh, as you point out, Netanyahu tried to reach Obama, and Obama wouldn't take his call. And meanwhile, the Russians are trying to run interference for you. And not only that, you know, we speak a lot about Ukraine and Russia. Ukraine, you know, usually at the U.N., they follow the U.S. But at this time, they actually wanted to abstain as well. And the Ukrainian ambassador approached me before the vote, and he told me, Danny, we really wanted to abstain, 
but the U.S. didn't let us. They they played the game that they wanted everybody to support the resolution, so it will be only the U.S. abstaining. And once you abstain and you don't veto the resolution, you know it will pass. But they wanted to have the, the moral ground and to actually show that they were not supporting like the rest, but they were abstaining. But Ukraine wanted to abstain as well. So the U.S. was not only behind uh, drafting the language of the resolution, they put a lot of capital and energy to make sure that uh, all other 14 members of the Security Council will vote in favor of this shameful resolution. So they actually lobby behind the scenes for the other members to vote yeah. against Israel effectively, even members who didn't want to but felt they kind of had to because of the reliance on the United States for whatever it is, economic, military, and whatever support, correct? Uh, indeed, indeed. And also we learned in the... Uh, after that, the UK was also debating uh, what to do. Uh, back then, uh, Prime Minister Theresa May, uh, you know, she understood that the president-elect Trump was not happy with the resolution, and she was actually considering to veto the resolution. But there was a lot of pressure on her as well uh, from the administration and from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in London. And she decided at the end not to veto the resolution. But uh, you know, it wasn't like a, a vote that the US came and abstained and it passed. It was a calculated move against Israel, and for me, it was a very hard moment when I actually realized that it's the U.S. standing behind the resolution. And I took a decision by myself, Mark, and I write about it in the book. I didn't call the Prime Minister Netanyahu after the vote. I decided myself that I would expose the behavior of Secretary Kerry and President Obama, and I went out to the media, and I publicly denounced the behavior of the U.S. because I think it's important in public life you know, when somebody is uh, not standing with you, you should not say everything is okay. And, uh, you know, we don't know what really happened. We knew exactly what happened and who, who was behind it. And I made sure it would become public. Are you concerned, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, this book is really incredible. It's very compelling. You learn information like this. It's called In the Lion's Den, Israel and the World. And you're going to learn a lot about America under Obama in this, too, as well as under Trump, by uh, former Ambassador Danny Denon. Danny Denon, is it your concern now that perhaps the Democrat Party has become radicalized? Not all of it, but a lot of it. I mean, you have people like Talib and Omar and, and others who are sort of out of the closet anti-Semites. I mean, and they're not denounced. There's no resolution against him, and I fear this is growing. I, I'm absolutely afraid about what's happening because what we are seeing that you have a, a, sometimes radical voices are setting the tone for the majority. Uh, and that's what's happening in some of the Arab countries in our region. And it's also happening in the Democratic Party. When you have radical voices, uh, you know, setting the agenda and trying to control the narrative, uh, I know that the majority uh, is not holding the same positions but they, they are quiet. And I, I call my friends that stand with Israel to be more active, to, to speak louder, and not to allow those radicals to control the conversation. Listen, you're, uh, you, you've been a, a great ambassador for the country of Israel, actually being a big, big ally and supporter of the United States. And uh, your job there at the United Nations was absolutely outstanding. I want to thank you. In the book, ladies and gentlemen, again, In the Lion's Den, Israel and the World, you're going to love this book, I promise. 
You're going to love this book. Go to Amazon.com, any major bookstore. And uh, God bless you, my friend. Thank you very much, Mark. God bless you. And I'm looking forward to host you again in Jerusalem. Thank you. Thank you. You take Thank care. You. And this is a remarkable man. And the things that he revealed, I mean, what he reveals about the Obama administration and Kerry and Samantha Powers, and these people are in the Biden administration. You know, it's, it's interesting. You can know, when the Democrat Party is hostile to the state of Israel, which is often, it's also hostile to our own country. When people hate us, they typically hate the state of Israel. And Samantha Powers is back in the Biden administration. John Kerry's floating around all over the place for the Biden administration. All these people are back. Susan Rice, all these haters are back. And that's why the media love them. Loves them. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. The book is In the Lion's Den. It's absolutely fascinating. You're going to learn a lot about what the Obama administration did and how two-faced and backstabbing they have been and were by the former ambassador, Danny Denon. You can get it on Amazon.com or any major bookstore. And by the way, I want to say this about the Senate race that's occurring in Alabama for the Republican primary. And I'm going to be very blunt about this. And that is that the real conservative in the race is Mo. Mo Brooks. And my endorsement stands. Mo Brooks is the real tested conservative. Part of the Freedom Caucus. He stood up against leadership. He stood up against the media, which is why they all want to take him down. He's very Trumpian. I know the president pulled his support. But I can't do that. Because I won't do it. Meanwhile, you have Katie, Katie Britt. Katie Britt, former business counsel of Alabama head. She is who Mitch McConnell wants elected from Alabama. And I'm just informing you folks in Alabama, we need a conservative. And as for Durant, I don't have anything negative to say about him. He served in the United States military. But serving in the military is very important, but it's different than serving in Washington. And so, again, I want to strongly encourage our friends in Alabama. I know it's a big battle. I know it's tough uh, to stick by Mo Brooks. I have nothing in this campaign except wanting conservatives to go to Washington, D.C. And uh, we will talk more about that in the days ahead. Our friend Jimmy in Brooklyn, the great WABC. Jimmy, go for it, baby. Hello, Mark. Uh, Frances Fox Pivens, you know, you've outed her in the past. She's a senior fellow at the tax-exempt KGB Front Group Institute for Policy Studies. Frances Fox Pivens... And by the way, uh, Jimmy from Brooklyn, who founded that? Raskin, Congressman Raskin's father was one of them, right? Marcus Raskin, yes. Marcus Raskin, the father of uh, Congressman Raskin from Maryland, who's sitting on the January 6th committee and sat on both so-called impeachment committees... That's who sits and is praised and promoted by the Democrat Party. Go right ahead. 
So the Institute for Policy Studies works very closely with the New York Times, Washington Post, CBS, all the, ra- the left wing stuff that we call liberal. Now, Francis Fox Pivens, the enemy agent, publicly stated we're going to get the changes we want largely through minorities and immigration. And you remember Ted Kennedy, who was an enemy agent also. He sided with the Soviets during the entire what they call the Cold War. I don't think we can call them formally enemy agents, sympathizers. Go ahead. Right. Ted Kennedy made the immigration bills that are being exploited now and expanded upon. You're 100 percent right. And I write about that if people want to read it in my chapter on liberty and tyranny. Kennedy changed the laws. He did. And a couple other left wing senators. And this issue came up, interestingly enough, about, well, this could change the demographics of the country. And Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson said, no, 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 we made sure that won't happen. That's not going to happen. So the Democrats have always been uh, have always been embracing this whole ideology of great replacement. They really have. They have embraced it. They have promoted it. And now they turn it on its head and they pretend that you're promoting it and so forth. This is who they are. Right? Now, one more. Yes. One more thing, Mark. The shooter, the the crazy madman, the white supremacist who murdered those innocent blacks in Buffalo, he embraced uh, national Bolshevism. That is a mm-hmm. communist operation to create or soup up the right wing to do things that discredits the right. The mass shooter in, in uh, Australia. I got to go, Jimmy. Hard break. I'm sorry, my friend. I have to go. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel. Of course, our trucker friends and our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And we pray for the people and the families in the the Buffalo and other parts of the country as well. And I will see you tomorrow. See you then. Be well.